In this edition of Emergence, we talk to Dr. Felix Lancaster about his experiences controlling rabies in Africa. Welcome to the Emergence Podcast, brought to you by MSD Animal Health and hosted by me, Alistair King. Views expressed during this podcast are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the company. This episode, I'm talking to Dr. Felix Lancaster. Felix is the director of Rabies Free Tanzania, is a recent recipient of a Rabies Hero Award, and has published a long list of papers on rabies control. He's a great guest to talk to about rabies in Africa, how to work with communities, and managing the challenges of delivery of vaccines without cold chain conditions. But before we get to that, I'm very aware of all the new outbreaks of lumpy skin disease that are occurring, especially in Asia. If you're trying to keep track of those, don't forget we have an interactive map on our Emergence website where we list all of the disease outbreaks that are reported through WAHIS and show them on a map. In the last six months, we've logged 386 outbreaks of diseases in 81 countries, affecting 22 different species. It's somewhere where you can quickly find out what's going on. And on the site, you can also find links to scientific articles on the key diseases. But now, let's hear from Dr. Felix Lancaster. Felix, thank you very much for joining me. You've been doing some really interesting work with temperature stability of rabies vaccines. I think before we get into that, do you want to just explain a little bit about what you're doing? Yes. Hi. Um, I'm a veterinarian and I work in uh, East Africa primarily. I have a faculty position at Washington State University um, and I'm vice president of a an NGO in Tanzania called Global Animal Health Tanzania. And we spent a lot of our time researching zoonotic diseases, looking at uh, zoonoses and how they impact public health and local economies. And one particular zoonotic disease that we focus on a lot is rabies. Um, and the reason we focus on on human rabies is because there is it's a neglected tropical disease and uh, around 60,000 people a year are dying from this disease and, and it's and it's rather flying under the radar. And so we do a lot of work looking at how to control the disease and how to prevent the disease in a cost-effective manner. And so that's, that's kind of in a nutshell what we do at Washington State University and uh, uh, with Rabies Free Africa. That cost-effective is really important when we're looking at especially Africa trying to get it to work very different to rabies control in Europe and America where it's a minimal risk disease but Africa you're coming across it all the time what do you think is the main barrier that's really getting us to control rabies so rabies can be human rabies can be controlled either through providing every person that is bitten by a suspect rabid dog with a post-exposure prophylaxis vaccination course. Um, and that would get rid of rabies, but it'd be very expensive um, and very challenging to implement. Or we can get rid of rabies through the mass vaccination of domestic dogs, which are the reservoir host of, of human rabies. Over 99% of all human rabies cases come from a bite from a domestic dog. It, 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 they don't tend to come from um, bites from wildlife, for example. And so vaccinating dogs is a, is, has been proven to be a cost-effective way to 
to control rabies at source in the reservoir host, which means less people get bitten by suspect rabid dogs and less people have to take post-exposure prophylaxis. In the end, we're probably going to need both post-exposure prophylaxis and mass dog vaccination. But certainly mass dog vaccination is the most cost-effective way of of really getting at the source of, of, of human rabies. I suppose that's one of the difficulties in the early stages. If we start spending money on vaccinating dogs for the first couple of years, you still need to be doing the post-exposure prophylaxis. So it increases the initial cost for rabies control. And then afterwards, once we start getting rabies really reduced in dog population, we don't have to use as much post-exposure prophylaxis and the cost will drop down. But there is an initial investment needed, isn't there? Yes, there is an initial investment needed in, in, in vaccinating dogs, but it should have a pretty immediate impact on the number of rabid dogs living in a community and, as a result, the number of people being bitten by suspect rabid dogs. So the savings that would be made um, from less people being bitten should be realised relatively quickly. So if we have the knowledge that vaccinating dogs can control the disease and we've got the vaccines, we've also got experience where we've seen vaccination programs working. What do you think from what you've seen is needed now to really push on towards rabies elimination? What's missing now really is the political will to make rabies a priority disease that requires control. and. For national governments in, in rabies endemic countries to put money into the ministries responsible for uh, controlling a disease like rabies, whether that's the Ministry of Livestock or the Ministry of Health. And it's that political will and the funding is required to make rabies a priority concern so that district veterinary officers Um, can have the funding necessary to implement mass dog vaccination campaigns in their their areas so that rabies can be controlled. And I mentioned the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Livestock. It it really is a, a, a one health disease, rabies, and it requires the collaboration between the ministries responsible for animal health and the ministries ministries responsible for human health. And it's a it's a real poster child for, for or a poster disease for, for One Health because it is a, a disease of animals that affects humans and, and we need that cross-sector support from both sectors to really control the disease. I've always seen rabies as the One Health disease from that way of looking at it. It really does highlight everything that we try and do when we think about One Health. I might circle back to that a little bit because the pandemic for the last 18 months has had an impact on that and I'd be interested in your views. Before I do that, I want to talk a bit more about some of the work you've been doing. One of the issues in Africa and Asia with disease disease control, not just rabies, any of these diseases, is the problem of temperature and transport of vaccines to places where they can be used. People sometimes say, well, you can get a can of cold Coke in the middle of Africa, you should be able to get a vaccine. The great advantage with Coke is it's relatively temperature stable. It doesn't matter if it gets hot on the way. 
that's not so true with vaccines. We know that temperature variations can be a problem. So you spend a lot of time looking at that. Yes. So we carried out a really interesting trial in 2015 to 16, looking at whether a commonly used rabies vaccine in dogs is thermotolerant. That that vaccine was the Novivac canine rabies vaccine. And we carried out a, a randomized trial in Tanzania in which we used vaccines that have been stored in under cold chain conditions and also batches of vaccines that have been stored under non-cold chain conditions. And we vaccinated dogs using these vaccines and we compared the serological response that resulted from the use of these vaccines. And what we found was that dogs vaccinated with rabies vaccines stored at 25 degrees centigrade for six months or 30 degrees centigrade for three months produced an equally robust antibody response as dogs vaccinated with rabies vaccines stored under cold chain conditions. So this was a really um, dramatic result, very clear result that this particular rabies vaccine, the Novavax canine rabies vaccine, but likely other rabies vaccines which are made in a similar way, was thermotolerant to storage outside of cold chain conditions. Although uh, it hasn't resulted in a, a change in the license of the, of the use of the vaccine, it, it does suggest that in these remote places where rabies does remain endemic and where power resources are limited, that vaccines can be stored at ambient temperatures for considerable lengths of time and remain potent. So I should be completely transparent. Some of that work was part funded by us, MSD Animal Health, because we could see that this is important. You're right, it hasn't changed the license. And we certainly would not be encouraging transport of vaccines outside of the temperature where they should be kept. To me, a lot of where this is important is when those cold chain facilities fail and having confidence that you can still use something because mentioned cost effective and price is important. People can't afford to throw away vaccines once they've bought them. And if you've had a hiccup in the cold chain delivery system, then if you don't know about the stability, you have to throw the product away. Absolutely. I think that's exactly how it can, uh, the, the, the results of this trial can can have a meaningful impact. They can, they give confidence to people working in mass vaccination of domestic dogs that if they do find that vaccines have been um, stored outside of the cold chain for one reason or another, maybe there's a power cut, maybe the fridge failed, um, that they, they don't need to throw away those vaccines and they can be confident that the, the potency of those vaccines will remain. Thinking about the temperature is one part of the delivery. Do you think there's openings for other things like drone deliveries of vaccines and things? Is that going to be something we see coming? Well, the results of this trial have have um, led on to, uh, uh, led us to start considering novel vaccine delivery strategies that might be possible if we have a vaccine that is tolerant to being stored outside of cold chain conditions. And so we just actually started a, a really large 
trial funded by the National Institutes of Health in the United States uh, that is being carried out in northern Tanzania across the Mara region in association with the government of Tanzania, whereby we are looking at how effective delivery of mass of rabies vaccines are for dogs um, when delivered through a decentralized approach um, that is based upon thermo the, using this the thermotolerant property. And what I mean by that is that we, we, traditionally vaccines are delivered through what we call a centralized or pulsed or team-led approach, whereby vaccines are stored in refrigeration units in towns, and then they are delivered to villages using a vaccination team, usually in a vehicle with a refrigeration unit in the back. And that vaccination team then visits a village for, for one day and vaccinates all the dogs in the village that they can get hold of. And then they move on to another village the next day. And so that village, each village is targeted once per year, for example, and the, the vaccines are stored in a, a centralised um, town. And so that's why we call it a centralised, team-led, pulsed approach, because it's a pulse of vaccination in each village once a year. And the, the, it's quite an effective method, and that's the method that's generally implemented around the world. Um, the problem with it is that it's, it's quite expensive. It, it takes a lot of time to reach each village. And um, as soon as a team leaves a village, having vaccinated, for example, 70% of the dogs in that village, unvaccinated puppies will be born in the subsequent weeks and vaccinated some of the vaccinated dogs will naturally die. And this results in the proportion of dogs in that community that are vaccinated decreasing over time. And it's that decreasing level of protection or herd immunity that is a risk because if the level drops below a critical vaccination threshold before the next pulse of vaccination happens then you you risk um, losing herd immunity and um, rabies being able to be transmitted within that community and so we wanted to compare we wanted to think of whether we, uh, there were other delivery strategies which would be more effective and so based on the fact that we now know that the vaccine is thermotolerant we designed a decentralized, continuous, um, community-led vaccination strategy whereby vaccines could be stored in the villages themselves in cooling in, in cooling devices um, that weren't that don't require power. Um, these cooling devices keep the vaccines about 10 degrees lower than the ambient temperature, um, but it's still outside of the cold chain. And those vaccines could then be managed and used by the community themselves throughout the year to vaccinate dogs whenever necessary. And so in this way, the vaccines are managed by the community in a continuous manner. And so we think, we hypothesize that this will result in, in a much more um, homogenous vaccination coverage being achieved. So rather than having a peak at 72 uh, percent and then it dropping and decaying away quite rapidly we think we'll reach a, a similar level but it will stay that high um, throughout the year because when dogs are, when litters of um, dog puppies are born uh, the community will know about it and 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 they can have those dogs vaccinated or when new dogs arrive they can be vaccinated throughout the year and so what would 
carrying out now across the Mara region of Tanzania is a very large randomized controlled trial where we are we've divided the the region into um, different wards where well, already divided into different wards and we're selecting wards and placing them into into one of two arms arm one is is the traditional team-led approach and and arm two is the novel community-led approach and we're going to measure the, the the vaccination coverage achieved through the year in both arms of the trial and we're going to look at and see also uh, which um, delivery strategy costs more per dog to vaccinate. So we'll be able to sort of make some cost effectiveness calculations too. So we're in the first year of this five-year trial that, that is really exciting. And this has all come as a result of the our knowledge that um, these rabies vaccines are, are thermotolerant. That sounds a really interesting approach. And it sounds like it's much more community engagement. I mean, one of the problems when we've got the pulses, you say, people come in and suddenly we've got to vaccinate your dogs, but then they go away and rabies is forgotten about from that side. Are you really engaging with the communities to get, get them to understand so you can keep that vaccination going? Yes. Yeah, so we, um, it's been very interesting designing this program. And what we've done is we used livestock field officers who are uh, certified paraprofessionals from the veterinary uh, sector to be the ones to manage the vaccines at, at the ward level. And each ward, ha- each administrative ward has about four or five villages within it. And so within each village, we've identified somebody to be what we're calling a One Health champion. And the One Health champion is tends to be the village chairman. And that person is responsible for um, informing the village community about the availability of vaccines through the livestock field officer and to communicate with the livestock field officer about when he or she might implement vaccination, um, mini vaccination clinics in, in, in each village. And there are numerous different strategies that the livestock field officer can employ to vaccinate dogs in these villages. They can carry out the a sort of a central point approach. They can also go house to house um, and they can also um, respond on demand when people contact them and say, I've got a, a litter of puppies that need vaccinating. And it's up to them to to um, implement whichever, whichever combination of strategies they think is most effective. And so we have this integrated in the community, these One Health champions linked with the livestock field officers who are all part of the community. And we hope that they will communicate with the community through um, village-wide meetings and the the village executive about the presence of these vaccines. And that if there's, if dogs are requiring vaccination, then then the community will know about their their village-based One Health champion or or the livestock field officer. And hopefully that will keep people or keep rabies on, on, on people's radar and, 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 they should know that they have a, have access to vaccines throughout the year. On a previous podcast, I had Benson Amida, who's the president of the African Veterinary Te- Technicians Association. And we were talking then about this engagement with the community and how these paraprofessionals are the people that people can trust. So you're really feeding into that and strengthening that even further. Yeah, absolutely. And they're, they're, they're a very important cadre of Para, of of veterinary professional, um, as you say, they they often are from the community themselves, and they 
they provide animal health activities uh, and um, services to the community as well as rabies vaccination you know they they respond to people's uh, livestock related health issues um, and so yeah they they tend to be trusted and recognized members of the community that speak the local language and as a result our, our, our people feel confident about using them for vaccinating their dogs so yeah it's it's nice to be able to tap into that existing resource it's one of the areas i find so exciting about this disease control when we're managing to engage across the community because i believe that's what makes a difference that's really interesting to hear that felix i think that sounds a really great project to go back to what we did mention earlier about one health the pandemic has had a huge impact on people across the world. It's brought an awareness of One Health, people who hadn't heard of it before. Do you think this level of awareness is going to help the elimination of rabies? I think the pandemic has made people aware of the, of the power of vaccination and how important it is to have a coordinated vaccination response to control diseases and that everybody needs to play their role for the greater good to make sure vaccine controllable diseases are are controlled and rabies is a is a very good example of a vaccine controllable disease so yes i think what what the pandemic has done is made many epidemiologists of all of us and so where as before the, the the pandemic nobody had really heard of herd immunity or r naught or the r number people are very aware of these concepts now and that that really helps people like us who are working in disease control and um because there's a there's a, a level of understanding in uh, what we're doing now that, that that wasn't there before and i think I think that's 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 really important. And I hope that vaccine hesitancy will be reduced as a result of the incredible response of the uh, and effectiveness of the of the coronavirus vaccination campaign because it's been astonishing how quickly the vaccine's been developed but but more importantly it's been astonishing how effective it's been and i hope that goes some way to reducing vaccine hesitancy which will which affects rabies as well as other vaccine preventable diseases there've been some really good examples of vaccine being used quickly to control outbreaks covid definitely there i remember being in the uk during the blue tongue outbreak when one of the blue tongue serotypes came into northern europe and the quick use of vaccine in cattle there got that disease under control within two years. Yes, hopefully it does highlight that and how effective vaccination can be. Short term, I've seen a few things that worry me. I think there's an increased awareness, but I've seen less money going into rabies in the last 18 months because a lot of it has been diverted into COVID. Have you seen an impact of that in Africa? Certainly budgets are very strained in Africa and, and certainly in Tanzania and Kenya where we work and so the local government authorities who are responsible for carrying out mass dog vaccination um, have a certain budget that they work off each year with, with which 
they have they have to use that budget to fund all of their animal related disease control activities from foot and mouth disease in cattle um, brucellosis in in livestock to rabies in dogs and those budgets have have been slashed because tax revenues across Africa have dropped primarily in East Africa because of the implosion of the tourist in, tourism industry and as well as other things and so yeah it, it it that's had a big impact and as you say resources have had to be moved and redirected towards the control of of covid which um obviously has had an impact on on um health budgets as well so definitely mass dog vaccination and the control of human rabies has has slipped even further down the priority list it seems as a result of coronavirus which is a shame the good news is certainly in the last three to four months we're seeing a lot more questions coming in again people asking us governments asking about vaccines and what can be done so i think we're through the worst bit and we can start moving forward again which will be great i think if you look at rabies free parts of the world a lot of the public aren't aware of the importance and the problem that rabies causes on a day-to-day basis in other parts of the world. Do you think raising the awareness of rabies at that general public level is an important thing to do? I do think it's an important thing to do, primarily because I think it's socially unacceptable to have a disease like rabies causing such high numbers of fatalities every year in one part of the world without the rest of the world knowing about it and um, without the rest of the world being able to do something about it. And if they don't know about it, they, then nothing can be done um, or, or help cannot come from from the global north if um, they don't know about the problem that's going on in, in the countries where there is rabies. So I think it is important to raise awareness of this issue because it is it is astonishing whenever I speak to people in the West about the numbers of people, well, about human rabies. The first question that I'm always asked is, is rabies still a problem? And when I say, yes, it is a problem, and they ask how many people die a year from it, and I tell them more than 60,000 people, they're always astonished. And it's that lack of knowledge of of human rabies and the impact that it's ha- having is 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 a real problem because it it it's again results in rabies being neglected as a tropical disease so i think it is really important that that rabies is the people are aware of rabies in in countries where rabies is not a problem and one of the ways we're going to control rabies is through through or one of the potential ways we, we might be able to control rabies is through a benefactor or a philanthropic organization picking it up as a as an issue of concern and deciding that this is the disease that they want to be responsible for controlling and they want to focus their funds and their effort on this this particular disease uh, much like uh, the Rotary Foundation has done with polio and we think rabies is a is a great disease for such a, a control program because it's relatively straightforward to control. Uh, we have 
very effective vaccines and we know the reservoir host and it's the domestic dog so it's highly accessible so everything is in place for rabies to be controlled and we just need to garner some some political will some some financial clout and and it's a it's a it's as we always say the low-hanging fruit of disease control and, and if there's a philanthropic organization out there that wants to be known as the the organization that eliminated human rabies from the world then there's an opportunity waiting to be grabbed. One of the problems rabies has is that 10, 15 years ago, there were a couple of benefactors who did try putting money in and it wasn't as effective as any of us would have liked. I think an important message for me is our knowledge and understanding of this disease and how to control it has changed so much in the last decade. When we were looking at it, 10, 15 years ago, it was this focus on stray dogs and this thought that all of these dogs are out there, uncontrolled, you couldn't get to them. Whereas what your work has done, Sarah Cleveland, people like that, has shown a lot of these dogs do have owners. And with education and working with the community, you really can have an impact. So it's a different world to when this was tried before. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think we are in a great position now because we do understand the epidemiology of the disease. We do understand that uh, it's not just about stray dogs or ownerless dogs, that it's about own dogs that are free ranging um, and, and maybe appear ownerless, but actually are accessible to vaccination campaigns. And we have a a, a, a much better understanding of what level of vaccination coverage is needed across a landscape to to eliminate this disease so yeah i think we're in a i think the science is is pretty much there now i think we kind of know what we want to do maybe there there can be some interesting outcomes from studies such as ours that are looking at the implementation of the vaccination control programs and how to make them more cost effective. But in terms of the epidemiology and the ecology of rabies, I think we know as much as we probably need to know about it to to really make a very good attempt to control it. Thank you very much, Felix. It's been fantastic talking to you. Is there anything I've missed that you think you want everyone to know about? Anything you've missed. Just that I, it's the old sort of point that we've eliminated or eradicated only two diseases, you know, two, two pathogens from the planet, smallpox, uh, which was a human pathogen, and, and rinderpest, which was a pathogen of cattle. And and we're really keen for the third one to be to be rabies, although we'll never eradicate rabies. We'll, we, we, we will eliminate human rabies potentially. And um, it's just really important to know that the reasons why it's really possible to achieve the elimination of human rabies is there are a number of very key reasons behind this. And firstly, we have effective vaccines that have that are pretty much 100% effective and, and have been since Louis Pasteur first vaccinated uh, a, a boy with a trial vaccine back in the 1800s, 1880s. Secondly, we have this 
reservoir hose, which is the domestic dog, which is man's best friend, so it's easily accessible. And thirdly, we, we know how many dogs we need, we need to vaccinate to achieve herd immunity. So these three, three things together make, make the whole program or the, the attempt to control and, and eliminate human rabies eminently feasible. And I think that's what the take-home message should be. It, it really is the low-hanging fruit of disease control. We just really need to reach out and grab this opportunity. I think that's a wonderful message to end on. This is something that is achievable and we can do it. Thank you very much, Felix. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Alistair. And now for some news from around the One Health, One Welfare world. MSD Animal Health recently announced two new Rabies Hero Awards. The local recipient, Dr. Mashir Ismail of the Central Veterinary Laboratory in Iraq, who's overcome many challenges tackling rabies in her country, facing tremendous difficulties during times of conflict, but determined to improve the understanding and control of the disease. The other award was to Professor Anthony Fuchs of the Animal and Plant Health Agency in the UK for his long-time commitment to eliminating rabies both in the UK and endemic regions, driving forward research and global strategy for rabies elimination, including his work with the WHO and the OIE. Both recipients working in very different environments and targeting different areas, but both passionately driven by the common goal of eliminating rabies. They're both perfect examples of what these awards are all about, recognising those who made a difference and their commitment in striving for zero by 30, no matter where they are. In March, the Food and Agricultural Organization, the World Organization for Animal Health and the United Nations Environmental Programme launched a One Health high-level expert panel. This panel has now been formed. It's made up of 26 international experts and it addresses the complex and multidisciplinary issues raised by the interface of human, animal and ecosystem health that require enhanced coordination and collaboration among sectors and agencies, both nationally and internationally. This panel will provide guidance on One Health-related matters that support improved cooperation amongst governments. It has an advisory role to the partners and is expected to support their provision of evidence-based scientific and policy advice to address the challenges raised by One Health. I was looking in Ethics, Medicine and Public Health. That journal had an interesting letter which was titled Rift Valley Fever and COVID-19 Outbreak in Kenya, a double whammy. What this letter was pointing out was that with the focus on COVID-19, people have forgotten to adopt preventative measures for other diseases. This is something we've touched on in other discussions and recently in a meeting with the WHO at their regional health summit, I raised this. What it's pointing out is that the health system is almost exhausted with dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. And that's leading to a lot of challenges to the healthcare authorities. They don't have enough resources, enough bandwidth to be able to deal everything else. But there are other diseases that have clinical manifestations that may be very similar, such as Rift Valley fever. This can lead to a really confused final diagnosis. And that misdiagnosis leads to further delays in suitable care and management of the patients. The limited capacity of getting that differential diagnosis correct has become much worse during the pandemic. The other thing that they're pointing out is that the prioritization of COVID-19 patients by healthcare professionals and laboratories in Kenya has blunted the response to the Rift Valley fever outbreak currently going on. It's really important that we continue looking at how all of these things interact, how we bring together one true One Health approaches, and that we get the balance to make sure that 
that we get the balance. We don't miss areas. We don't have gaps in our disease control. Once again, we'll be running our Rabies 360 challenge through the month of September leading up to World Rabies Day, which is on September the 28th. We challenge you to think of something you can do that month in September as a part of the Rabies 360 challenge. Last year, you may remember, I hiked 360,000 steps. I haven't yet decided what I'm doing this year, but I do want a challenge. If you've got any ideas for me or for John Atkinson, let us know. We'd be really interested to hear what you think we should be doing. And that's it. Thank you for joining me. Until next time, I wish you well. Goodbye.